0: Welcome to HJ Talks About Charities, a dedicated podcast series from our charities team at Hugh James. In this podcast, we talk about topical issues and the latest developments affecting charitable and not-for-profit organisations to help provide some practical guidance to ensure they run effectively. We are lawyers, so we will touch on the legal standpoints surrounding the topics, but don't worry, we'll keep the legalese to a minimum. I'm Emma Poole, Client Relationship Manager at Hugh James. And today's episode focuses on a recent case that's been making its way through the courts and could have a big impact on our charity clients. I'm joined by Louise Price, who's head of our employment team, who's worked with charities for many years. I'm pleased to say she's come dressed for the podcast today. (laughs) She didn't realise it was just audio, but we're very grateful for the effort. Lou, you've been working with charities for a long time now. Can you tell us a bit about the background to this particular case uh, that's been going through the courts?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, So this case um, is in relation to a lady called Mrs. Tomlinson-Blake. She's a care worker working, uh, worked for Mencap. Um, And as part of her job, she was obliged to spend uh, nights at or near her workplace. Uh, She was expected to sleep for most of the time, um, but could be um, woken if assistance was required. Um, She was paid a fixed sum for the sleepover shift, um, plus an additional sum if she was called on during the night for any time over an hour. She ultimately brought a claim under the National Minimum Wage Regulations saying that the whole of the sleeping shift should constitute what's called time work um, under those regulations um, and therefore should be paid National Minimum Wage per hour for each of the hours of the shift that she worked. Um, The case ultimately went to the Employment Tribunal, then to the Employment Appeal Tribunal. Um, At that stage, the tribunals held that all of the time that she was spent on the night shift was um, time work for national minimum wage purposes. This case um, had a huge impact, obviously, on, on the charity sector, and, and not just the charity sector, local authorities, particularly with their um, um, budget cuts, and other employers of staff that work sleep-in shifts um, in relation to them having to pay back pay and penalties to large numbers of staff in relation to national minimum wage for those sleep-in shifts.
0: Am I right that that's been estimated to be about £400 million that they think charities could have to pay out because of that finding at that particular court.
1: Yes, um, unfortunately that is the case, you are right. Um, This ultimately could lead to a number of organisations becoming bankrupt, particularly um, small charitable organisations who just can't simply fund back pay um, to that extent for for so many individuals who are carrying out sleep-in shifts. How far would they potentially have to go back? Um, with the decision of the, the EAT, HMRC then um, determined that they'd have to go back up to six years. So that's quite a significant amount of, of time and money um, for a number of individuals. So you could see wh- where the 400 million has, has come in. Um, since um, that decision at the EAT, it was appealed and it went to the Court of Appeal. And in the Court of Appeal, they actually allowed the employer's appeal. So they found um, that the time that Mrs. Tomlinson-Blake was on a night shift, actually she was available uh, for work, um, during the sleep and shift, but not actually working. So, they completely overturned the decision and found that it was only during the time that she was awake that she was entitled to the national minimum wage and not during the whole shift. So, this was a huge relief um, for employers at that time. And then, um, so the investigations into how much people owe have been suspended in light of this decision.
0: So, what sort of issues have the courts been looking at each? Time. I mean, from an employment law perspective, what kind of things are they having to look at? Is it the activities that she was doing um, during particular hours and whether she could be asked to do anything specific? Is that how, how they're deciding whether or not it counts as just being on call or actually
1: worked hours? What sort of things are they looking at? That's a very good question, Emma. Um, This is a really significant point. Um, It's very much a case which is distinguished on its facts. So this isn't the first case of its kind in terms of dealing with people working on night shifts. Um, There have been a number of cases. There were two particular cases that were referred to in the Mencap case, which have been distinguished. So the first is British Nursing Association and Inland Revenue. In this case, there was a nurse operating a 24-hour telephone call helplines. Uh, so during the night, they were expected to answer calls as they came in, but could sleep in between those calls. Uh, that was actually a court of appeal case, um, and they held that um, they were working for the purposes of national minimum wage. So, um, But the, the significant point on that case, which distinguishes it from Mencap, was that... The telephone service was identical during the night as during the day. So um, they found that that supported the decision that they were, um, they were working, even though sometimes, actually, they were sleeping. Um, there's also a case of Bridge Construction and rights. In that case, this is a night watchman. Had to perform some tasks um, at the start and the end of the shift, but for about five hours during the shift... Um, they could be sleeping. Obviously, they had to be, um, you know, available to answer alarms or phone calls. Um, but actually, they had a mattress to sleep on, and they could sleep for a great part of the shift in this case. And even in that case, they said um, that was time work, and uh, they were entitled to national minimum wage. Um, the the way they've been distinguished from the MenCap case is because in those cases, um, they they were expected. To work, and in Mencap, they were expected to sleep. So okay. it's very much something that I think it is going to depend on the facts of each particular case and to kind of see um, which side of the line they fall, whether they fall more into a Mencap case uh, situation or, or perhaps the British nursing situation.
0: So if the decision is uh, sort of changed again in future at another court, um, is it the case that actually employers are better not to sort of pay out as a protective measure because they may fall into one type of case rather than another and one would have said that they did have to pay out the other would have said they wouldn't do you see what I mean <laughs> yeah yeah
1: no I do um I, I guess the first question um an employer should be asking themselves is is kind of which side of the line would they potentially fall does mencap apply to them or not and I would say perhaps you know seek advice because each case is going to be different and, and so that will be the starting point. Um, you, you go on to, you asked, you know, obviously about whether this is going to go on. Um, actually, it is. So they have appealed. Um, so the, uh, appeal has been approved and this is go- they've been granted permission by the Supreme Court now um, to appeal the Court of Appeal ruling. Um, they are going to hear this on the 12th and 13th of February. Um, oh, not long. <laughs> not long at all. Um, although the decision is probably not going to be expected until around July uh, this year. But it's definitely a case that you have to watch.
0: So really there's not much that charity clients can be doing in the interim except waiting for that judgment in July um, and just being aware that this is something that could have a financial impact on them and maybe reviewing what their arrangements are when it comes to sleeping shifts so that at least they know where they'll stand once that decision does come out.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think, you know, in terms of preparing, they can look at the cases, look at the facts and, and see perhaps if if the Mencap case would apply to them Um If it does, then it is just going to be a case of watch this space to see what the decision is um, and whether or not they are going to have to change the way that they pay their staff going forward. Well when that decision's made we'll make sure we do a bit of an
0: update so that um, if people are tuning in they'll, they'll know what's happened with it and what they need to do uh, as next steps in potentially July if we think that's likely to be how long it takes. It's obviously a very complicated case so it does take judges quite a while to yes. work out their reasoning and, and make sure that it's not going to be appealed again I suppose would, would be the plan. Is, is there is there any subsequent court it could go to or is this absolutely going to be
1: the final decision? This is it. Supreme Court's the highest court it can go to so this will be a binding authority on everyone so this is a very significant case there's going to be a lot of press attention about it certainly watch this space and watch out for podcast number two <laughs> lovely thanks a lot louise thank you if you'd like to take part in the conversation
0: suggest a topic or need some further guidance for your organization please get in touch at charities at hjtalks.co.uk for more information on hugh james and the services we offer visit hughjames.com or check us out on twitter at hughjameslegal.